0: Welcome to the International Bass Podcast, brought to you by Workby. I'm your co-host, Tanya Falkner.
1: And your co-host, Robert Rogie.
0: And for this episode, we have Catherine Selye-Smart joining us. Catherine, she's been a freelance translator since 2008, and she's mainly translating from French into English. She grew up in London, but is now based on Reunion Island. And this has actually led us to today's topic, as Catherine specializes in Reunion Island Creole. And that's what we're going to talk about. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I'm pleased to be here.
2: Cool.
1: So I guess let's kick things off with, uh, what is Creole as a language and how many Creoles are there and let's have the overview of what Creole
2: is. Okay. Well, opinions vary as how Creoles came about and, and what they are. But generally what most people say is that when you have a community of people who come together and who, who speak different languages, initially people will create pigeons to speak to each other. And when these people continue to live together and start to have children, these children will grow up speaking the pigeon, which is then called a Creole. So um, what a lot of people don't realise is that Creoles have their own grammar they have their own grammatical structures which can be quite complicated and they have a tendency to be thought of as perhaps um, dialects or or a broken version of the language that they are uh, they tend to be a version of
1: oh that's really interesting you know that, that they're perceived to be a broken language i mean they, sometimes there's a certain amount of prejudice I think in when we look at the way that people speak a related language or a dialect of a language, and uh, and there there can be a lot of prejudice in how people see the way a, a certain person might talk, right?
2: Right, and I don't know how many listeners are familiar with the notion of um, diglossia, but diglossia is when you have a situation where two languages are spoken by a person or in a country, but generally one language is seen as as being superior to the other language and this can be the case for a lot of countries a lot of places where creoles are spoken i know it certainly tends to be the case uh, here in reunion island so Cre- reunion creole is is sort of some people see reunion creole as being inferior
0: mm-hmm. so you said it's it established from other languages right from mixing cultures and mixing languages basically is that right
2: that's correct yes yeah
0: so where's the difference then to let's say for example something like spanglish
2: from what i know of spanglish it's you have elements of spanish and you have elements of english but it remains it has an overall structure of one or the other language I don't think it really can be called a creole. Maybe linguists would call it a creole, but uh, I'm not a linguist in the uh, academic sense. So, uh, Mm -hmm.
0: okay. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: So, what are the languages that make up creole again? Historically, Spanish, French.
2: In fact, you have approximately 140 different creoles in the world, and so they tend to be have a basis on one or other language. So, for example. You have about uh, 15 or so Creoles that are based on the French language. You have a larger number that are based on English. And then you also have Creoles that are based on languages like Spanish and Portuguese. But you can also have Creoles that are based, for example, on the, on the Hawaiian language. There, I think it's no longer spoken, but there was at one point a Creole based on the Hawaiian language. So it's not always, as it were, colonial languages that form the basis for uh, for Creole. Is Creole
0: only used in spoken language or written as well?
2: There are some countries that have a written form of Creole. For example, the Seychelles, which is uh, elsewhere in the Indian Ocean, a little bit further north of Reunion, they have adopted Creole as an official language and they do have a written form of Creole. I would say that for the case of, for example, Reunion Creole, it's one of the things that's holding back publication in that you have different people who have different opinions as to how Creole should be written. Some people feel it should be written more like French, and some people are inclined to move further away from something that's similar to French spelling. And so because there's no official orthography for Reunion Creole, I feel it's holding um, publication of books and other literature it's holding it, it's holding, uh, holding back, Um, and it's a shame. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of Creoles.
1: That's super interesting. So like, you know, I'm thinking about dictionaries and, uh, you know, the concept of a dictionary and a grammatical rule book to, you know, standardize the language, to make it so that everyone can be on the same page. In a way, it makes a lot of sense, right? But then on the other hand, I mean, the strange thing about dictionaries is that they're used uh, as, as basically like a, a weapon of prejudice all the time. And yet you you still need, <laughs> need to form one. So how, how long have people on Reunion Island been working on establishing these rules?
2: As far as I'm aware, though, I think the first academic work on Reunion Creole took place, I think it started in about the 1970s. So bearing in mind a quick portrait history of Reunion, Reunion is an island that was uninhabited until the mid-17th century and has been populated by people from Madagascar, Africa, mainland France, India and China over the course of the years. And so this is what has brought together this uh, language combination which has led to Reunion Creole. But I think that the academic work that has been done has been instrumental in, in helping to see already that Reunion Creole is a language and starting to get it accepted. I started living in Reunion in 1990, and although it was no longer illegal to speak Reunion Creole on the media since 1981, even in the early 90s, it was still not seen very well to be using Creole um on TV or on the radio. Fortunately, that's no longer the case.
1: So is there a pushback then with people who, especially regarding, cause you mentioned the spelling, right? That there's some yeah. people that want to spell or adhere closer to the French. And then some people that, that want to go further from the French. Is there some pushback now against spelling it uh, closer to the French because people are thinking about colonial history?
2: No, I wouldn't say that. I think one of the arguments for having a spelling system that is closer to French is that it it just simply makes it easier for people to read and understand. Because even if most locals grow up with reading in Creole as their native language, when it comes to learning, reading and writing, that all happens in French. And so it would be easier for them to read something in in a Creole that's that's more similar to French.
1: Hmm, Interesting. See, I, I would go, sorry, Tanya, I would go, if it was me, I would go further from the French spelling because French spelling is very difficult and doesn't have many rules. <laughs> like, everything I know about French spelling is like, okay, you know, if you had to do it over again, uh, you know, there there could be some simplifications you might make, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I, and I see where you're coming from. And it's also, you know, if you want to, dis, Reunion Creole is sometimes considered as being one of the French-based Creoles that are maybe the closest to French. And if you compound that by uh, having a, a Russian version that is also similar to written French, you know, you, you sort of got to say to yourself, where is the? Some people could think, it, it can be instrumental in people thinking, oh, well, you know, Reunion Creole is just a, a broken version of uh, of french so yeah i i think the your argument this is the problem there are arguments for and against having a spelling system that is close to french and that is quite far away
0: so you're saying that reunions they grow up with reunion creole as a mother tongue but then everything in school is in french and then on like radio and tv it's is it both it's mainly
2: i would say on radio and tv it's mainly in french Bearing in mind that there's, you know, quite a lot of, um, especially TV channels that are from mainland France, uh, a little bit less so on the radios. But yes, you, you can hear, you know, somebody that wants to hear more or less only Creole on the radio can choose their radio station and, and that will be the case. Or you have the state run um, TV and radio channels. They also have a certain number of programs that are only in uh, only in Creole. So they're catering for for that.
1: What mm-hmm. percentage of the people speak Creole on Reunion Island? Everybody? Um, or?
2: I would say anybody that has been born and brought up here, or even people that haven't been born here, but that have been brought up and gone to school, mm-hmm. um, speak Creole. So um, I, I'd say it's fairly unusual to be born here and, and not speak it.
1: Is there a, a like a class divide uh, about Creole? Like, like for example, if, if you were a higher income child, would you grow up in a French-speaking school, and if you were a lower-income child, would you grow up in a Creole-speaking school, or are they all French-speaking schools, or like how how does that work?
0: Well, I would
2: say offici- well, officially, all schools are French-speaking schools. Right, no question of that. But then you might have a school where you have the, the especially at primary school level you might have a school where the primary school teacher is is going to be speaking more in Creole and another school where the the person is going to be speaking more in French, especially if that latter person is themselves from mainland France and not local. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it, it brings its own set of issues as well, because if you can imagine a child that spent about the first maybe five or six years of their life only speaking Creole, and then one day they're sort of parachuted into this environment where everything is in French, it can bring
0: some problems. How did you learn it then? Did you just pick it up, you know, as you go?
2: Yeah, I picked it up. In my previous life, before I was a translator, I worked for about 15 years in business, and I would say maybe the first six years I was working in companies where I was the only non-local and so even if, for example, colleagues spoke to me in French, between themselves or, or maybe to other people, they were speaking in Creole you so I, I, I just picked it up.
0: It's quite difficult, isn't it, to pick up a language where there's no written, I don't know, for me, I, I really learn most when looking at it and I just feel like it's very complicated to learn something just by hearing it.
2: I agree. And um, despite all the years that I've spent here in Reunion, so we're talking more than 20 years, almost 25 years, I feel that because I don't have the grammatical basis for the language, I, I feel that I'm lacking in um, in a number of respects, yes. It's That's interesting. <laughs>
1: I mean, uh, like when I read classic literature, for example, I mean, you, if you go back to a certain time, I mean, really, even already in 19th century literature, you can still find a variety of spellings of the same word. You can find some different grammatical structures. You know, like in English, a really good example is the preposition and the ending a sentence with a preposition. Mm-hmm. So, and if you're in the United States, for example, like you will grow up as a kid, you know, they will tell you, oh, you can't end your sentence with a preposition. That's an inappropriate way to speak. If you want to be correct, you can't do this. You know, but but actually, they invented that when they created the first Webster's dictionary in English to try to differentiate the American English from the the British English. They just like added in a rule that never existed before, right? and And it was a, essentially, it was a political thing. So i I, I don't know, like I, I mean, it's good to have a standardization, but then at the same time, languages, in my opinion, they should breathe evolve, change, like, I, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I think it's better not to go too far to either side. That's just my personal opinion.
2: No, and and of course, France, you know, Renan Island is the French overseas department. It's, it's governed by France. And of course, in France, you have the Académie Française, who are very prescriptive about how French should be written, how it should be used. It's not like English, where we have um, no controlling body, no controlling authority, really, mm-hmm. uh, over the language. And I mean, you know, there are dictionaries, but dictionaries are dis- uh, supposed to be descriptive and not prescriptive, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what I think, too. Yeah, descriptive, not prescriptive. So, like, uh, is there a, a governing body for Creole there that's trying to decide this stuff? Like, is there an official organization of, of some kind? Or?
2: There are a certain number of committees that I'm aware of. I don't think we could say that there is one particular body that is, um takes precedence over another, no. Do
0: you know? I think you mentioned there are over 140 Creoles. Do you know which one is the one with the biggest population of people speaking it?
2: Off the top of my head, I don't know, no, but I think there are a certain number of Creoles spoken, for example, in Africa, in particular Nigeria. I think there's a language in Nigeria which is called Pidgin English. And although it's called Pidgin English, it is actually a Creole um so i believe you know we're talking there maybe several million speakers so yeah i think that would be tend to, that that would be the case in some african countries it's true as well that a lot of creoles are spoken on islands and so not a lot of islands have uh, massive populations
1: well now i'm thinking about belgium because i could not tell you how many of my french friends have made fun of the way they speak french in belgium or quebec And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't know, sometimes people have they can have a colonial mentality about language and they don't even realize it. You know, it's like, oh, ha ha ha. Look at the way those people are speaking French. And it's like, well, I mean, do you own French? Like, is your name on it? Like (laughs) maybe you're the maybe you're the one speaking bad French.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's relative, isn't it? It's really from the point of view of uh, from your standpoint, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right, right. So, are there any famous books or poems uh, written in Creole, like
2: uh, uh, written directly into Creole? I think there's a, there's a French poet called Le Comte de Lille who is from Réunion, who has um, he he was in he lived in the 19th century, and I um, he wrote a certain number of poems in Creole uh, in Réunion Creole. There's a number of books that have been translated into Reunion Creole, but when I say books, sort of sh- short graphic novels or and such like, I think that in maybe, for example, in the French West Indies, you have more literature that has been directly written into Guadeloupe or, or Martinique um, Creole. So those islands have their own Creole as well? Exactly, yes, yes. They are other French overseas departments and they have their own Creole. To give you an example of how different Creoles can be, so the nearest land to Reunion is Mauritius. so It's about 200 kilometers away. Mauritius has its own Creole. I know that some people from Reunion can go to Mauritius and understand the Creole. Me, because I'm lacking, as we were saying earlier, I'm lacking the sort of very solid basis in Reunion Creole. I have trouble understanding Mauritian Creole, and it's only 200 kilometers away. And um, the Seychelles, which are a thousand kilometers away, I just cannot understand it at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Hmm. But they have it's because of the different histories and different linguistic inputs. Mm-hmm. The Seychelles and Mauritius, for example, were what had uh, more, um, there was a British colonial influence, so there's more English in them.
1: Well, it's interesting, too. I mean, like, uh, it wasn't that long ago, really, when, you know, being on the other side of a river might mean you speak two different languages, right?
0: <laughs> but I think that's still the case in Papua New Guinea, isn't it?
1: Right, right. Yeah.
0: Right. Isn't it the country with the most languages or something?
2: I think there's 800 um, different languages in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. It's
2: crazy. I
1: didn't <laughs> even know that.
2: Even in Reunion, so Reunion is about the size of Luxembourg or um, the state of, I think it's about the size of New Jersey. So it's not a very big island. And I mean, you, you, know, you go to the south or you go to some of the inner parts of the island and you know, the Creole e- even here has variations and a different accent.
1: Hey. As you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here, and we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about WordBee Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system so you can manage projects, it also has linguistic tools, it has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things like, for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wurby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast.
0: So the poems that you mentioned, and like since there's no official written Creole, is it just like the person who wrote them just wrote them in his own sort of style? Or are there any guidelines then?
2: Yeah, no, he, he he just um he just wrote as he felt uh, fit. So
0: yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well that's yeah. one way to do it. <laughs> well, it wasn't that
1: long ago. We were doing the same thing in English, you know. And in, in German too, you know.
0: Really?
1: Well yeah, I mean I don't know how long ago it was, but uh well I don't know, I guess we could look it up, but like when was the first German dictionary published, you know? Like mm. I have no idea. But we I suppose to. like eighteenth century, <laughs> you know?
2: There is a dictionary of Reunion Creole, so it's not the authoritative version of the language. But I know that if I ever have to write anything in Creole, and if if somebody was to say something to me, "Oh, you haven't written that in the in the right way," I would uh, say to the person, "Well, I've based it on such and such dictionary." So
1: maybe now is the time to make your own dictionary. Like uh, <laughs> you know, the Célier Smart C- Smart Dictionary. Like you, like three hundred years from now, there could be like you know, they, maybe they'll be on like the one hundredth edition of the Célier Smart Dictionary of Creole.
2: That would, be, that would be great, wouldn't it? I've actually done some word lists, and glossaries on my blog, from reuniting some sort of popular, as it were, well-known Creole words into English. But because there are very, very few visitors here who speak English, um, I don't think there'll be a lot of demand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There might be one day. (laughs) Yeah. So why do you think that Creole still exists? Why hasn't it gone extinct?
2: I think we could ask the same question about any language. I think uh, I was saying earlier on, Creoles are often spoken on islands. You have people that have a certain distance from other places. I'm not saying people are isolated, but I think in any context where you have a group of people in a certain place, they will start their own way of speaking and that way of speaking will continue. And I hope that that will continue to be the case. I hope that will carry on. We keep hearing that lots of languages are disappearing every day. It's true that for a place like Reunion, where there's a lot of input from French, maybe one day Reunion Creole would—it's going to get swallowed up. By, uh, by the French language, but I, I sincerely hope not.
1: So what's the, in, in your opinion, what's the benefit of trying to preserve languages? And, and what, what, what should we do about all these languages that are becoming extinct or might become extinct?
2: I think we need to learn them and, um, and spread them as much as we can. I think through it's only through a language that you can understand a culture and so if a language dies, you're going to have a lot more trouble understanding the culture.
1: But wouldn't the culture change too?
2: You mean that the language should change because the culture is changing or?
1: No, like if uh, I, I'm not, uh, this isn't what I think. I'm just asking that mm. like if a language becomes extinct naturally or it gets swallowed up by another language or, you know, there's there's a lot of, like you said, there's that's happening in a lot of different places. I understand that it helps to understand the culture, to understand the language. But then if the language disappears, then is it still helpful?
2: You mean helpful to learn or helpful to...
1: Yeah, or even to understand the culture, I guess, like, you know, because what I'm saying is that I guess, like, if, if right now there's, you know, this whichever language is being spoken in country, and then it disappears. And fifty years later, someone still knows how to speak it because they were studying it. Then I guess that they would have an understanding of the culture, but it would be the culture from fifty years ago. I guess that's what I'm saying. Kind of like learning Latin today.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, Latin has some um, Latin in some respects has been um, updated, hasn't it? I mean, I think there are modern children's books that have been translated into Latin. So, uh, hmm. um, I. Yeah, language can still evolve. I think there are examples of cultures where um, they have created new words for um, out of their old language for, for for things like the internet and computers and and such like. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's always useful to have a different outlook on the world through another language. I had a small insight into that when I lived in Asia. I lived in South Korea for three years went with wonderful intentions of learning to speak uh, Korean as fluently as possible. Unfortunately for me, I would have had to spend um, all day, every day of my three years there learning it um, right. just <laughs> just to to become fluent. But from the basics of the language that I learned, I, I got to understand that the Korean mindset is very collective. In the West, we have a tendency to be quite individualistic and it's much less the case in South Korea anyway. And uh, and, th- and this transpired through the language. It really transpired through, through the language. So uh, I found that fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, each language is like a little treasure. Yeah, I, I, my opinion is that we should collect as many treasures as we can. <laughs> so mm-hmm. people, it would be so cool if there was even like a movement dedicated to learning and preserving languages, you know. Because, like, like you said, like uh, it, it, sometimes you wonder—is it a chicken or an egg thing? Like, h- how does a language affect the way people think, and the rest of the culture, and how does the culture affect the language? And, and I, I, yeah. it's amazing how they work together.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a big debate, isn't it, <laughs> at the moment?
1: Right. Yeah. Did you see the movie Arrival?
2: I did. Yes. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Maybe there's a language, you know, some, we just let it go extinct and we didn't realize it, but it would have let us travel in time or see the future. We should keep these languages around.
2: <laughs> that, that sounds like a good idea for a film script.
0: That's
1: true. Totally.
2: Arrival part two or something.
1: <laughs> right. Right.
0: So... Do you think that in order to like sort of preserve um, Reunion Creole, they will at some point also teach like in schools and everything in Creole? Or do you think they'll keep the French?
2: There are movements to teach in Creole. There is, for example, a bachelor's degree that you can do in Creole, in Reunion Creole at the university. And I know there has been a movement in some schools to teach certain lessons in Creole, and I mean this is thing; these are things that weren't happening a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just crossing my fingers that that things will carry on like this. And um, I think that France has, um, and a lot of countries, have realised over the past few years that other languages are a source of wealth for a country and i'm saying wealth in obviously in the figurative uh, meaning and not in the literal meaning and that so they need to be preserved but to be preserved sometimes they might need help they might need a helping hand through teaching so but i i i just hope that this movement uh, to teach um,
0: more meaning in creole in the classrooms is uh, um will we'll carry on Mm -hmm. That's like with some languages, I believe Welsh is also something that they haven't taught in years, but then they've started again just a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, um, to actually make it mandatory in in school to preserve the language.
2: Yeah, I think it dates back a little bit more than than a couple of years. But yes, there has been in in recent decades, yes, there has been um, a movement to um, increase the number of uh, Welsh speakers. Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: I'm just wondering, I still, you know, like the differentiation between a Creole and a language, you know, if I look at Welsh and and Reunion Creole, I mean, how come you don't just call it a language? But it is a language.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. It's, it's maybe me who didn't, I think I maybe didn't explain um, things properly at the beginning. A Creole is a language. It's just, it's a certain type of language.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> you know the old saying: all oh, well, a language is—it's—it's uh, it's a dialect with an army and a navy, isn't it? <laughs> hmm.
1: So why do uh, th- th- there must be somewhere some resistance to putting Creole in the schools, for example? What is the nature of that resistance?
2: Well. I can give you an example. You have a school here in Reunion, which is a sort of a a hotel and catering industry school. And a few years ago, there was a movement to have Creole taught in this school, as well as English. And a lot of people were saying, why are we taking away hours of teaching English or another foreign language to these pupils who are going to be working in the tourist industry? And, and why are we teaching them Creole, where when the only people that they can speak Creole to are um, other people from a union? So that's an example of resistance. I must admit, I don't actually know where um, where things stand on on that point at the moment. But uh, yeah, you can see both sides of uh, of the argument.
1: Where is reunion at in terms of the army and the navy then? <laughs>
2: (laughs) (laughs) um i don't think it's very far
1: (laughs) right right maybe you need to work on the army and the navy first i don't know
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably the navy because we as reunion is an island (laughs) right
1: right right
0: well i guess it's sort of a silly question because as there's no official written krill but is there any like i know you i mean i I think I, i saw on your website that you're and like I mentioned before, you specialize in also Creole, so um, like translating from Creole to English. Is there any technology support for that, like machine translation or anything for a Creole?
2: Nothing. Nothing that I'm aware of. No, no.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: Yeah. I believe one of the most well-known Creoles, especially to, um, to people in the U.S., is Haitian Creole. Mm-hmm. I believe that possibly there are things for Haitian Creole, but I might be wrong. But I think it's—I uh, think a lot of creoles are pretty low down on on the list for the people who are dealing with creoles. For so language, you know, it's so interesting,
1: just- and it's so socio-economic. You know, like uh, I remember in university, because I, I, I studied uh, for a while, I studied social linguistics, and like there's this famous example in the states in Atlanta. Like that's where I, I don't know if you know, like CNN or uh, like yeah, Turner, yeah. Turner Broadcasting and. All that. So there, there are all those big companies are are in Atlanta, and there was this like influx of people, like professional people, moving to Atlanta to work for all of these these big companies, right? And then previously, the Atlantan like dialect. I, I hope I'm getting this story right. Was a little bit, or the accent, sorry, the way that they were speaking was was lighter than the sort of. Um, well, the stronger accent of the countryside uh, surrounding Atlanta in Georgia, right? And uh, But then when all of these uh, people from outside of the state started moving to Atlanta, the people from Atlanta felt like they needed to show that they were from there more. So they, they started speaking with a heavier accent that was the one that people were using on the countryside to show that they were original Atlantans and not these, these new-coming Atlantans, you know. And uh, I don't know, there's so many examples of social linguistics and little prejudices that get embedded in people's minds about how language should be spoken. And uh, I don't know, I, I find this subject to be super interesting.
2: There's um, an example like that. There is or was a project to translate the Bible into Renian Creole, Hmm. And so the the people who are working on this project received a remark, well, you know, why why on earth are you um, you know why on earth are you translating the Bible into Reunion Creole? You know, why why? And of course they replied, well, you know, the Bible in French isn't any more valid than the Bible in Reunion Creole. The Bible wasn't written directly into French. The the Bible in French is already a translation from another language. So um, if it's in Reunion Creole, it's just another translation.
1: Right, so it's not, right,
2: it's more or less valid than in French,
1: yeah, of course, and it's even more valid if the person that that is reading it can understand it better because that's his or her preferred language, right exactly well, and the Septuagint is like one of the most famous translations of all time, so like you <laughs> you would think that people would would be uh, not asking you know th- this question of translating the Bible to Creole,
0: yeah. Is there like is there a difference for you in translating from Creole or from French? I mean, apart from obviously that's two different languages, but I don't know. Are there any other differences?
2: I would say that I, after so many years in a French-speaking environment, I rarely have trouble understanding something that's written in French. With Réunion Creole, I can sometimes have be have some doubts. You know, oh, does this mean this or does this mean that? Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes I need to check with a native speaker of Reunion Creole more so than, um, than French. So, um, yeah, I would say that for me, that's the, um, that's the main difference. Having said that, the demand for translations from Reunion Creole into English is pretty rare. There is sometimes demand in the other direction, so from um, English into Reunion Creole. And of course, then I um, transfer it to uh, native Reunion Creole um, colleagues. Cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I'm out of questions. This was a super interesting podcast. Um,
0: Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I've learned a lot and I hope our listeners have too.
1: Yeah, and maybe we should have more guests on the show to talk about specific languages. Like, uh, it would be neat to talk about some of the Native American languages as well, that are sort of, you know, on the brink.
0: Yeah, it's good to like raise awareness for this. So, yeah, 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 definitely spark some interest. It does.
2: I believe last year I attended the FIT conference in um, in Australia, and there were a number of presentations to do with. Um, Australian languages and Aboriginal languages and I I found it very interesting to learn that um, Aboriginal languages suffer from the the same problem as as Creoles so there is a general tendency to think that only one Creole exists and it's the same for Aboriginal languages there there are um, quite a lot of people who believe that only one Aboriginal language exists whereas um, there are uh, um, quite a lot Mm -hmm. Right, right.
1: Yeah, it's really a kind of a prejudice in a way. I mean, people, maybe they don't realize that they're being prejudiced when they do it because they just don't know any better. But, you know, assuming that all, all these different people speak the same language is sort of, when you think about it, it's a pretty big assumption to make.
0: You know, especially in Australia, like, it is so big. It's if you were saying everyone in Europe speaks the same language.
2: Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I think one one of the examples that we were given that really stuck with me was um, the fact that uh, in some of the more remote areas, you might have a person, for example, in northern Australia, for whom English is their seventh language.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. But, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, they learn a lot of languages and I'm pretty sure they still have to be fluent in English, even if it's only their seventh language. But
2: yeah, there's a, there's a whole um, Aboriginal language interpreter service in Australia who are um, helping Aboriginal peoples in legal and medical situations, so uh, that does help if there's a lack of fluency in English. hmm
1: Wow. it's interesting. I don't know. It just seems to me like when people, you know, read white people, sometimes when they try to help other people they also start to like enforce their cultural doctrines without without almost without realizing it you know and i wonder if that happens even in a case as simple as like trying to trying to help someone if that doesn't in some way show them that oh you know your language doesn't work <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if I'm, I, I'm not saying that right but there's so much prejudice involved with language and it's so deep inside people's heads that they don't even see it or that it realize that it is there
2: Yeah, I mean, that comes back a little bit to what we were saying at the beginning about diglossia, where you have a situation, uh, sort of a hierarchy of languages, and where one language is seen as inferior to the other, especially in in sort of any um, official situations.
1: Yeah, diglossia. That's the word of the day. (laughs) We're going to tweet that. It
0: is, yeah. (laughs) I
1: don't know how to spell it, but I'm going to look it up, and Google is going to correct my spelling.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well I guess that word is a good thing to end and wrap up with, except if you like you wanna add anything, either of you. No,
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm just uh, eager to go do my research now. Do more <laughs> research.
0: Well then this was another episode of the International Bus and thank you, Catherine Salier Smart, for joining us. Thank you. It
2: was lovely to be with you.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks. Bye bye.